Well, good morning. We are, we are definitely glad that you all are here this morning. Uh, we're going to be talking, this is our last Sunday of our series, Baby God. We're going to be talking today about Jesus post-birth and, and what that looks like. Um, and w- what some of the things that took place mean for us today. You know, Cordelia, when she found out that she was having a, a sister, was uh, extremely excited. Um, Jarek and I weren't like too huge on doing a gender reveal or um, having any type of party like that because our main concern is that they just both make it through the pregnancy alive. Um, but we wanted Cordelia to be excited and to be able to experience that joy. And so we planned this thing that wasn't too elaborate, but once we found out we were having a girl, we went and got a pink balloon and we took it to her school and, and showed up with it and she soon caught on she's having a sister and she was so excited as many of you have probably heard she's having a baby sister and she's going to be a big sister um you've probably heard it four or five times uh but that day we told her we were walking down uh the school aisle at pleasant view where jerica teaches because we were going to to jerica's um classroom to do who knows what i don't remember um but she was stopping everybody that she came in contact with right she couldn't wait to tell them so Teachers, administrators, random middle school students who she had no idea who they were. Guess what? I'm going to be a baby sister. And like everybody, what? I'm going to be a big sister, not a baby sister. That'd be really impossible, sort of, unless. Anyways, so yeah. Guess what? I'm having a baby sister. And, and then she'd just go into this whole long spiel because if you've ever talked to Cordelia, you know that like a, something that needs to take 15 seconds takes about seven minutes. Um, but they were all just really experiencing her joy with her. And there was something about Cordelia delivering that message that made it more special, right? If Jarek and I are running up and down the hallways at the school, stopping everybody we know, saying, guess what, we're having a daughter. They're going to be like, okay, congratulations. Get away from me, old creepy man, you know? But it, it makes a difference that it was Cordelia who did that. Um, a message is often enhanced by the messenger, A message is often enhanced by the messenger. And we see that in the story of Jesus and his birth, that the messenger was every bit as important as the message that was delivered. And so we're going to look at that today. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 2. We'll start out in Luke chapter 2. If you can follow along with me, I'm going to read verses 8 through 20, and this is what they have to say. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone to heaven... The shepherds said to, one another, said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. 
So the fact that, that God chose messengers to be the, the first deliverers of this message that Christ the Messiah was born, that he was here, is something that, quite frankly, um, is beautiful and poetic. You see, shepherds in these days, they were the least of the classes, right? They, they were seen not as good people. They were dirty, and they walked around with livestock all day, and... You know, they were people who were seen as, as, as less than. They, they cussed like sailors. They think of like every bad stereotype you could heap on a person, and that's what shepherds were seen as. Okay, so stereotypically, they had this bad reputation, and let, yet God said, I'm going to use you. These shepherds who raised the sheep weren't even allowed in the temple, right? And yet the sheep they raised were used in temple sacrifices. The sheep literally had more worth than these shepherds. And so God first comes to them and he says, I have a message for you. Today in Bethlehem, a Savior was born. And what they didn't know is that he was going to use them to bring that message to all the people. Here are these people that are, that are downcast and trodden on and looked at as less than. And they couldn't even speak in legal matters because their word was seen as not trustworthy enough. And yet God used them to deliver a truth that the Messiah was born. And you know what's even more special? They were believed. They were believed. I, I can assume that they had some different air about them, that their excitement and the tone of their voices kind of lended uh, itself to the fact that they were to be believed, that, that, that what they were saying was true and that this message that they had was for all people. And, and people were extremely excited. See, this is the first declaration in the story of Christ that Christ was for everyone. Christ is for everyone. He's for you, regardless of what situation you find yourself in, regardless of which background you have. I'm a person who often struggles with the fact that God has chosen to use me. If I look introspectively, I feel dirty. I feel like I'm not worthy of the calling that God has placed on my life. I'm not the smartest. I'm not the most um, engaging speaker at times. Long pause there, just to prove my point. I have a past that is dirty and dark and I'm ashamed of. And if I think about it too long, I don't understand why God chose me. I'm not perfect. I'm a different person today than I was Five years ago, I feel like I'm a better person, but man, I still don't feel like God should be using me to deliver the, the message of who Christ is to other people. And if we're honest, we all have times in our lives where we feel like that. Where we feel like, you know what, I'm not worthy of this. Or man, I screwed up again. And, and yet Jesus says, guys, I love you. And God says, here's my son. He's here to bring peace on earth, goodwill for all people. And that means you, and that, that, that means you even when you screw up. God doesn't have um, a shelf life, right, on, on, on you as a person. It's not like you can mess up one too many times where God won't forgive you if you go to him seeking forgiveness with a repentant heart. Can you imagine... 
if God treated us the way that we treated other people? Can you imagine what that would be like if there was maybe a three-strike system? You know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. It's not going to happen again type thing, right? And we kind of have this thing in our society where once you've wronged me, you're no longer good for me. You no longer have a use in my life. Wouldn't it be scary if God treated us that same exact way? And yet one of the very first things he does is use these shepherds, these people who the rest of society says, they're not good people. They're not godly. They're dirty. I don't want them in my house. I don't want them in my life. And God says, you guys are going to be the ones to deliver the message of Christ my son. As we move on in this chapter, we're going to look at verses 22 through 38. This is what they have to say. It says, When the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem, meaning Jesus, um, to present him to the Lord. It is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple courts and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all people in the light of revelation to the Gentiles. And for glory to the Lord, and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what had been said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. Is this working? (laughs) She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the children to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. And when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law, I'm going a little bit further than I said, the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town in Nazareth, and the child grew up and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and grace was upon them. So here we have Anna and Simeon, and culturally, they're well past the age of what I would maybe call value. Right, Simeon was no longer able to work. Um, he was well beyond those years, and he was an old man. And by his own admission, he's just waiting to die. The Holy Spirit had said, hey, you're going to get to meet this Christ that, that God is sending before you die. And as soon as Simeon meets him, he says, hey, take me now. <laughs> All right, you can, you, can, you can end it because I, I've met this Christ that you promised. And Anna herself, she, she's a widow. She's probably close to at least 100 because it says that... Um, 
well, she's older than that. She's probably close to like 104, 105. You think the average age of being married was 13. She lived with her husband seven years, and then for 84 years she was a widow. So we're looking at 104, 105 years old. She's, she's very old. She's a widow. In a lot of cases, she's seen as a burden on society because um, women in that day didn't really have a way to, to make a living for themselves, and so she would have relied on others to, to kind of pay her way. And yet God comes to both of these people who are well past their prime and uses them to deliver a couple of messages that are extremely important to what he's trying to do here with Jesus. Because remember, he announces that Jesus is for everyone. He's for all people. And he comes in, and the first thing he does, he uses these two people who are well beyond this age of value, who, who find themselves in old age and say, you know, beyond this, what, what good am I anymore? And I see people that struggle with that on a daily basis. One of those people is my grandfather. And as he's getting older in age, he's struggling with not being able to do the things that he used to be able to do, right? He can't work out in his yard as long as he'd like. Um, he, he doesn't have the same stamina to go out and, and do various things. Um, he finds himself being more forgetful at times. And, and um, I've heard him say on numerous occasions that I wish I would just die already. And it... Uh, He's still smart and witty and um, the most intelligent man I've ever met. And I told him one day, you know, if God was finished with you, you wouldn't be here any longer. And I say that to each and every person here, that when God's finished with you, when you've really uh, fulfilled your purpose here on earth, God's going to take you home. And if you're still here, you have a purpose. You have a reason for being here. The second message, God is telling that people that, that he is for everyone always and he wants them to live as if they have a purpose. Because even younger individuals, we kind of get this thing in our minds where we feel like, you know, I've done everything I can do. Or I've fulfilled my role, now it's somebody else's time. And the truth of the matter is that your time is, is always See, God has a purpose he's placed specifically on you, for you. And, and as you go through life, that may change. It doesn't mean that you always hold the same role or fulfill um, the same task. Sometimes he moves you in and out of places in your life and takes you through seasons to where you're doing different things. But if God was finished with you, you wouldn't be here. And so it's our, our obligation to constantly be looking at how can Christ use me. And Simeon God used him by delivering a message that, that Christ was here for the Gentiles. You see, especially in this day and age, Gentiles were seen like a, maybe a step above shepherds. You have shepherds, Gentiles, women, Jews, Jews right? And, and the Jews were God's chosen people, and, and they were um, not to mix and mingle with those below them, really. And yet here's Simeon saying, a man that was called righteous and devout in Scripture, saying that, hey, Christ is going to be a revelation for Gentiles because he's here for all people. And then we, we see Anna, uh, uh, an old woman who's a widow, who in this day and age um, culturally is, is just seen as a burden, being used to deliver a message that, that Christ is for everyone. And he's here to bring peace and goodwill to men. 
See, but just in case that doesn't do it for you, just in case the shepherds and the elderly and the lady didn't deliver this message for you, God does something else. He sends three wise men. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 2 now, and we're going to read about this story, and this is what it says. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard of this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers in the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the, the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for this child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the, <clears throat> and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When, the, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. <clears throat> so wise men come from the east, and they find themselves in Jerusalem. And they meet King Herod. King Herod is this vicious ruler who um, is so concerned with staying in power that he's killing all of his heirs, right? He, he's making sure that he doesn't have somebody who can succeed him. That way he stays in power. And so when he hears of this new king of the Jews that's being born, that we all know now it's kind of misunderstood because he's not really coming to rule in a castle and, and be revered, but he's coming to, to bring people to this new kingdom in heaven that God has prepared for them, right? But Herod doesn't know that, and Herod's concerned with this man taking his power. So he tries to kind of schmooze over with these wise men and say, under the guise of wanting to worship them as well, says, hey, when you find him, you tell him, you tell me where he's at so I can come worship him too. See, when they were war warned in the dream not to go back, the warning was that, hey, Herod doesn't mean good things for this child. He's looking to kill him. And so they decided, we're going to go back another route. That way we avoid Herod. We don't die by his hand and he doesn't get to kill this child. But here, here, here these wise men are, these, these, these magi. They, these, this is the upper echelon of society, okay? They're bringing to this baby that they've never met very expensive gifts. And they regularly treat with kings, right? It's not uncommon to find them among royalty. It's not uncommon to find them in the presence of kings. And here they come to this Jesus, the baby of a, of a poor father and a poor mother who's wrapped in, I'm assuming, not the finest of cloth and laid in a manger next to farm animals. He comes from extremely humble beginnings and yet here are these men, these rulers, these, these, these upper echelons of society coming and bowing, humbling themselves before this baby and worshiping him. And it's God saying, listen, not only is this Jesus 
for you, the poor folk. And not only is this, this Jesus for, for, for you women and, and who are downtrodden on it, not only is this Jesus for you Gentiles who are seen as less than, and not only is this Jesus for you shepherds who are seen as dirty, who no one really wants to have anything to do with, but this Jesus, he's for you rich folk as well. You see, Christ is for everyone here. What Jesus represents transcends every boundary. What Jesus represents transcends every boundary. God doesn't do things by happenstance, okay? There's a rhyme and there's a reason behind everything that he does. And so the way that he introduced Jesus in this world and he chose to introduce Jesus into this world was designed and was perfect to tell the world, not only is this the Messiah, this king who's being worshipped by these wise men, but he's here to bring peace and goodwill to all people, regardless of your circumstance. Now, I I don't know what you maybe have got out of this morning, but I want you to at least listen to me in this last part and hear this. In this Christmas season, we represent God on earth. We represent this Jesus who, who chose to leave a throne in heaven, to, be, to come down and be born as a baby, to humble beginnings, to live a life in servitude, knowing full well that the end destination would be death on a cross. And in this season where we celebrate his birth. We celebrate his birth because ultimately we celebrate his death because what his death means is that you get to spend eternity in heaven with him. And if you're a Christian, you're saying, thank you, Paul, I know that. But who are you showing people this holiday season that Jesus is? I'm not one of those people who kind of thinks that there are certain times of the year where you should be more Christ-like than others because that's wrong and that's false. But as Christians, if we can't represent Christ better, at least during this time of season, there's something wrong with us. Who are you showing others that Christ is? Is Christ unforgiving? Is Christ judgmental? Is Christ vindictive? Does Christ seek a relationship only when it's beneficial to him? See, Jesus came to bring peace on earth and goodwill to men. All men. All people. And if we are Christians are holding on to this as some sort of righteous trophy where we get to say we're Christians and we're better, and yet we're not going to show people the same courtesy that Christ has shown us, what good is Christ to the people around us? I know that in life, relationships are hard. And I'm not just talking about personal relationships. I'm just talking about the way that any person relates to another. 
And so I'm asking that this holiday season that you open up your heart to be like Christ is with you. To not keep a scoreboard or not keep a checklist of all the wrongs that have been done to you in your life. To not cast judgment on the guy you standing on, see standing on the street corner asking for money when he's been there 15 days in a row. To not sit around and, and be greedy with your money and think about all the presents and the awesomeness stuff that you're going to get. But to show others in this time of season that I'm going to forgive you and love you like Christ forgave and loved me because he came to this earth to serve one purpose and that's to make sure that you have the ultimate relationship with God, that one day you can live in heaven with him, that there's a Christ out there who loves you, who came to live and chose to live among the poorest of poor to die on a cross because in the end of the day he wants nothing more than to be in a relationship with you and to say, I love you and to bring you home. This Christmas season, you have an opportunity to be a difference maker in the world around you. And that choice, it really is all up to you.